This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Richie Ote holding it down. What's up, my brother? How's it going? Good, 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 good. White Wade's got it under control studio and kelly's got it under control back at headquarters in here on reinvention radio we sit down with a lot of amazing people who have reinvented their lives and uh certainly are dismantling the status quo and uh, in their own unique ways and for those of you who have been leaving those awesome reviews and subscribing and rating the show we really do appreciate it and uh, whether you're listening on spotify or soundcloud or stitcher or itunes or whatever your preferred platform of choice is we just really appreciate you tuning in and uh we'll continue to do our best here to bring you the most amazing people from across the globe who have just such incredible short and just incredible stories to share of how they've uh, really reinvented their lives and what they're doing now to impact the world as a result so thanks so much for tuning in love having you guys here and uh and i'm still coming down a little bit off of the high uh, from the uh, the New Media Summit there. Just finished up our... Uh, that was New Media Summit 4. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we've done four New Media Summits now. So we just finished up our last New Media Summit uh, in Tampa just a couple weeks ago. So still coming down a little bit off of that high and uh, gave 150 people the opportunity to meet 40 of the world's top podcasters. And they pitched them, and some of them pitched them really, really well. We give everybody the microphone, and they pitched them on who they are and what they do. Uh, and... Uh, once again, 100% of the attendees walked away with bookings in hand, some of them um, many dozens of bookings in hand. So, again, a really successful event. We're going to be doing our next New Media Summit, New Media Summit 5, in September in San Diego, September 16th through the 18th. Mark your calendars. We have not yet put tickets on sale for that, but when we do, we will certainly let you know. But at least for now, block it off on the calendar, September 16th. Through the 18th in San Diego, come meet today's top podcasters and pitch them on who you are and get booked on their shows on the spot. We would love to have you there. And so, you know, one of uh, one of the great things that we're able to do here with the show is, uh, of course, feature incredible people like you who the world doesn't know about. And then we're able to sit down with people that, well, are popular as authors or speakers or entrepreneurs or, you know, you name it. I think we've had them in, uh, in, in those industries join us here on the show. And so we try to mix it up between people that uh, the world has never heard of before uh, and people that the world, you know, like Simon Sinek and those guys that we've had on that the world knows really well. And, uh, and today we've got one of those guys on that uh, the world has never heard of. So that's super cool. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm glad we're, uh, we're going to be breaking out Keith Yackey here and uh, we're going to give you an opportunity for people to get to know you. So um, other than uh, me and a few others, man, you're pretty much unknown, right? I, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, welcome to the fun that is Reinvention Radio, my friend. Of course, I'm just shitting, just fucking with you there, my brother. So, Oh, I love it, dude. Well, I can tell you, I never get stopped by paparazzi, and I don't remember the last time as anybody's ever asked for my autograph. So your statement is 100% <laughs> correct. <laughs> Oh, man. No, it's really good to have you here. And um, as someone who does some stand-up, uh, you know, if you can't take a joke and get a little roasted, then I don't know who can, right? So, it's the you, best. I yeah. love it. And, uh, and so we had a chance to – so I've known Keith. Uh, so we're, we're on with Keith Yaki today, and, uh, and I've had a chance to 
a little while now. I mean, I don't think you remember this, or maybe you do, or depending on what influences you were under when we first had a chance to chat, but we actually met uh, with Pete Vargas uh, in your suite uh, in, hot- uh, in Hotel Land there in Vegas. I forget what event was going on or why we were all out there, but uh, but we had a chance to hang out there, and I had, you know, really just, man, it was great to get to know you, but I, I don't feel like I really know your story, and, uh, and of course, uh, we want to make sure that our audience has an opportunity to to understand your story as well. But you've got a pretty interesting background, man, from real estate and personal development and comedy, and you've done all kinds of things over the years, man. But take us back through some of the embryonic stages of what you've been doing with with your life and then, uh, of course, what you're doing now. Awesome, man. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's it's a it's an honor and a pleasure. And uh, absolutely, I do remember that night. And I don't think I was under any influence, maybe some alcohol. <laughs> but I think uh, <laughs> I do remember the night. I remember you telling us the story about the real estate and all that stuff. And we had a lot in common. And then yeah. I was actually shocked to, to for you to tell me about this reinvention radio and that type of thing, because I was really deep in helping people discover their calling, find their path, that type of thing. So I was like, wow, how cool is that? I didn't realize somebody else was out there doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then your book, you know, what is your what? Yeah. And I read, read that and loved it, man. So cool stuff. <laughs> as far as my story is concerned, uh, I actually was a pastor, which shocks a lot of people because if they've heard any of my stand-up comedy now, um, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a pastor on stage uh-huh. at, at all. But, uh, yeah, man, I was a pastor for a while. My mom died from cancer. She died with regrets. Mm. And she looked me on her deathbed and said, Keith, I'm passing on to the next world or the next life or I'm passing on from this life with a lot of regret. And uh, whatever's in your heart, go do because I don't want you to pass on with any regret in your life. And that was kind of the catalyst. How old were you at that point? How long ago was that? I was – 28, 29, so about 11, 12 years ago. I'm 40 okay. now. Okay. Yeah. I was doing the pastor thing, but I, I was kind of growing old of the pastor thing, to be very honest with you. Mm-hmm. And um, I always wanted to start a business, but I was too afraid because I didn't know how. And uh, with that look from my mother's eye kind of freshly emblazoned into my mind, I'm like, you know what? I need to go do something. And here's how funny life is. I was watching a TV show called Flip This House. And there was this guy on there, total douchebag. He was so uh, so rude to people and all that. And my mom turned to me while we, we were watching this because I would spend – I spent like the last 90 days with her before she passed. And she had a, a hospice bed brought into her sunroom so she could feel comfortable while she was passing. And she loved watching TV. Now, up to that point, I was a pastor. I hadn't owned a TV for like five or six years. I hadn't watched a movie or a TV show. So I was like, all right, mom, I'll do this with you because you want to do it. And she turned to me and she goes, Keith, you could do that because she knew I had a lot of uh, background in construction. And I'm like, yeah, I probably could do that. And I feel like I I would be a lot better to people than this douchebag on the TV is. Mm. Interestingly enough, I signed up for that guy's program. Uh, within the next few months, ended up flipping a couple hundred houses and got really deep in the real estate game. Mm-hmm. And can, we, can, can I can I stop yeah. you there though? Because Dude, stop. Um, yeah, whatever. So, so there's a lot of folks out there who are, are in that same sort of position. And by the way, if you hadn't had a TV for four or five years, and this is going back a, a number of, of years, right around that time is probably when reality TV was really just kicking in. So you probably turn on the TV, and you're like, oh my gosh, like what's going on here? That must have been a yeah. little bit of a culture shock. But so there's a lot of people out there who. <laughs> who do exactly what you did. And actually, Richie uh, had just brought this up during a recent interview. 
uh, where we were talking about how you know there are there are folks there like especially in real estate who they can do really well make a million or two uh, a year in, in real estate doing exactly what you're talking about doing but then make 10 or 20 or 30 million a year teaching other people how to do it right so this would be the same i mean you would fall into the category of one of those people then who bought that type of course how did you how did you get started because there's a lot of people who buy those courses and then they just don't have the wherewithal to get started or they're afraid to get started but eh, you're one of the few who actually does something with the information so how did you actually do your first deal like did you did you raise money did you have money and then did you reinvest those funds into the next deal and the next deal and the next deal because you i mean you did a lot of deals so how yeah. how did you do the first deal though and, and have the and have the courage and confidence to to do it well my dad was a billionaire so he just let me in all <laughs> well there you go <laughs> i just kidding yeah. well and i want to interject one quick question yeah. before you go sure. into that did cool. the course actually live up to the promise well, um, so that's a great question, and I'll tell you this, Mary. Um, it was a great place to start, and it gave me enough information to go do what I needed to do and kind of figure out the details as I went. Okay. So, yes, um, once you learn the game and understand it become an expert, you realize it was pretty um, rudimentary and basic, but it got it gave me enough belief in myself that I go, well, if these are the 10 steps, I can do all of those steps. I'm going to go try this thing. Nice. Yep. And, and then which market were you in? Uh, Las Vegas. Okay. Yeah. Steve was right. Okay. Yeah. In the worst, like everything had crashed and everything was falling apart. And that's when I started. And it was glorious. I was going to say, that was, you lucked into that. Mm-hmm. I really did. While everybody else was running away, we ran in. It was great. Well, it's a really good time. I mean, as Mary and I were talking while uh, we just had a little bit of a break here, we were talking about how uh, million-dollar homes were selling for two, three, four hundred k. So, I mean, if you had cash, it was a phenomenal time to to jump in. So, your timing from that perspective, as long as you weren't caught holding the bag and you got in as it started to tank, and then you know you were able to take advantage of that, it, you were in a great position. But but how did you do your first deal? Yeah, so. Um, I didn't have any money and, um, I, my, it's interesting. I got my first deal accepted and I went to go, I I talked to a couple of contractor buddies of mine that had some cash and I was going to marry it with a hard money loan. And so, um, I was going to go do the deal. I was to put the, uh, earnest money down. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money to get in the course. My sister actually let me borrow the money to get into the course and, my brother called my sister and said, hey, we need some money for the earnest money deposit. She sent it to him, and uh, he went and blew it. It's five grand <laughs> on mm-hmm. strippers and cocaine. <laughs> really? Really? I was not laughing at the time. I bet not. Um, the second deal, I got, so I didn't, I didn't end up doing that deal. The second deal came through. I was going to wholesale it. I was going to make like a $54,000 wholesaling fee, which is a ginormous wholesaling fee. And the week before it was supposed to close, the guy backed out. Mm -hmm. And then the third deal I got um, with a guy who had a little bit of money that he was going to put down for the deal, crossed my name off the contract and went and took the deal without me. You're (laughs) 0-3. 0-3. But in my world, I grew up playing football. So I'm like, that's, you know, that was third down. So now it's fourth down. And I'm a lot closer to the goal than I was when I first started. So uh, I actually landed three more deals under contract 
and I was and I got hard money line up to line up all of them. I had the private money to come in for you know for the down payment and the renovation, and uh, a de- the like literally two days before the first deal was supposed to close, the hard money lender backed out. And so I talked to my realtor. I said, "Hey, do you know any hard money lenders?" He put me in touch with a guy, and uh, I ended up funding that deal, funding all three of those deals. And me and that hard money lender went on to probably do about eighty or hundred deals together. And, and we bought a lot of buy and holds as well. Mm-hmm. And I ended up owning three hundred uh, properties at at one point that were just cash flowing to me after flipping. All said in total, I flipped about seven hundred properties and owned about three hundred. Um, like rental doors, fourplexes, all the way up to like 44 units. So we got really deep in the game in that regard. Mm-hmm. And just just so we're clear here, when you talk about a hard money lender, I mean, we're talking about private money, kind of loan shark-esque. I mean, we're talking 10 12%. Dude, six points and 22%, my first deal. Six Ouch. points and 22%. Wow. And I made 32 grand off of that deal. Wow. And you went on so, to do more work with that guy? Uh, no, <laughs> um, that, not it, that, that was, he kind of brokered that one out to me to get the deal done. Cause I had, I had really no time to do it, but I didn't want to flake on the deal. And there was still so much profit in it that I decided to do it. Mm-hmm. But I went on to do a lot of business with this guy and he was ended up lending me money at like, you know, 10%, no points down. Like we ended up, I ended up raising a lot of money and that's what actually became my specialty was raising private money. And it's still what I teach to this day. I have a course, I have a coaching program on how to raise private money because I was able to do every single, not every one of my deals, but just about 98% of them with no money out of my own pocket. Hmm. Let's um, go ahead, Richard. You're jumping yeah, on your chair on that one. Well, mostly because I want to go back to what the title was. And like, I have a ton of questions in real estate we could go down that but the title is reinventing your calling and yeah you're a pastor and then you're a teacher and you did real estate and your book publisher and you're doing all these things like what what is the, your definition of what a calling is and or does it change well let me so let me give you the let me give you the 30,000 foot view i was a pastor i got into real estate and what i found out was that you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I always say it's hard to read the label from inside the bottle, right? So what happened was I, about a year and a half into doing the real estate, I got in touch with some of these seminar companies. They're like, oh, my God, how are you doing this? You're doing so much volume. I was doing 10, 15 deals a month, a month in and month out. And they're like, how are you doing this? I'm like, well, let me come share. So I started speaking, and I realized, oh, my God, now I'm a pastor of these real estate investors. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on from that. We had created a couple different bigness. There's some guys on TV today that I actually wrote all of their program for them and built their entire um, like curriculum and, and stuff for them and spoke for them and made a lot of money with them. And I kind of grew tired of that because I was like, man, you know what I've really always done? I had a little sh- a stint in insurance for about six months too, and I – the real estate didn't as excite me. The insurance didn't excite me as much as the teaching others how to do it really excited me. And so I realized that, oh, my God, you know what? My, my real calling in life is being a teacher, teaching others how to do stuff that they want to do that maybe they're too afraid to do or they don't have the insight on how to do it. So that's literally why I started – that's why I built Amplify, which is our live event, um, teaching people how to you know, go after what they want to do and how to build a business around it. And once I started putting all the pieces together, I realized, oh, my God, I have a framework here to teach people how to truly go after what they want to do and monetize it as quickly as possible. So that's kind of how I got into all of that. And then just these last couple of years, I'm like, 
I really want to do stand-up comedy. I've always wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. I ran into a guy at the gym who's a kind of a total doofus, and he said he was doing it. And I looked at him like, well, fuck, if you can do it, <laughs> I can do it. Yeah, and There's a that, theme. You carry that theme throughout. You've said that before. Yeah, it's – yeah, if you can do it, I can do it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's why I do. St- I don't. I mean, I make money doing stand up comedy. Not a lot of stand. Not a lot of money, but I just do it because I love it and I'm passionate about it. So, that and that's the whole reason why I love teaching people how to get where they want to go faster and with less pain. So ultimately, when I look back, like what is Keith's calling? It's Keith's called to be a teacher. Keith's called to be a lighthouse. Keith's called to show people that they can go do things that they previously didn't think they could do, but really did long in their heart to go do. Do you think the stand-up comedy is possibly even teaching people to lighten up? Uh, stand-up comedy is, is a, a way for me to say a lot of really. Cr- Am I allowed to cuss on this show? By Absolutely. the way, I, I won't. Okay. You're, yeah, too late. I have. Yeah, I didn't say anything, but I'm like, oh, I don't know. Stand-up comedy is a way for me to say a lot of really crazy shit that I think is funny. Mm-hmm. That opening for Tony Robbins in front of seven thousand people, I would not be able to say. Mm. Yeah, for so sure. It's just my, it's my, and, and I always thought I could do it, and so it was kind of this thing like, can I do that? And then the last couple of years, I've been able to perform at all of the like the best comedy places with some of the best comedians. And I'm like, wow, I'm doing it. And I absolutely love doing it. For some reason, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the most satisfying thing I've ever done. So, so probably and I've made all of a total of a maybe $2,500 doing it in the last two years. Sweet. <laughs> so is the new hardest thing when you're teaching and someone heckles to try to remember you're not at a comedy club? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Get them back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. So let's... Uh- let I me, heckle with feathers. I I heckle. I heckle with hugs on that one. <laughs> let's um. So let, let's do this because I want to make sure that we give people an opportunity to understand what your process is. Because there's a lot of people who out you know, who are out there talking about. I mean, well, me included, right? What is your what? Discover the one amazing thing you were born to do. So I mean, the what is your what framework and the, the gift of vehicle to people, the whole nine. So there's a lot of people out there who are teaching this sort of finding your calling, your passion, your purpose, whatever it is that you want to call it. How? Uh, what's your system? What's what's your framework? What's the core of your teachings in terms of helping people get to where they want to go faster and with less pain? Yeah. So you know, I've kind of taken the anti "what is everybody else saying" approach because I don't think it kind of. I think there's a lot of myths around what this was, and I think it because of the the myths are so pervasive in our culture, it's held a lot of people back. Like. We've all heard the do what you love and the money will follow. Well, obviously, we know if 96% of businesses fail within the first five or 10 years, that that's not the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Or do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, go tell an NFL linebacker with 500 pounds on his back in the squat rack that this doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Um, you know, burn the boats and take the island. It's like, well, that sounds a little aggressive. Um, why do we have to burn the boats? What if we're on the wrong island? Wouldn't we like to burn the boats after we found out this is the right island? Like, What if we just so like, like sailing? What if we like sailing, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know, those types of things. And so it's like a lot of people have heard these um, types of things. And so like, well, maybe, you know, I'm not supposed to do this or maybe I can't do this. So I just figure, well, why don't we just break it down to something that's really, really simple. Um, and so I have a, a couple of steps, you know, I, I deal with people. How do you, 
how do you discover your calling? How do you then create a business around it? And then how do you actually get clients to pay you for that? Because if you have a calling without like a business, then basically you're going to be a starving artist. If you have a calling, but you don't have paying clients, but you're still helping them, you're basically doing charity. Uh, if you have a business and you have paying clients, but it's not really something you enjoy doing or it's not your real calling or passion, you're going to be unfulfilled. So I just figured, like, how do we wrap these three things together? And so a, a, a system that I've kind of created is I call it your, signs, your signposts, your stepping stones, and your skill sets. I believe that there's a reason why we all gravitate towards certain things. And I think one of the, the, the quickest telltale signs of something that you should be doing or should be pursuing is if you see somebody else do something, you go, I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. Or if you think, I could do that. Or you think, I could do that, but I would do it this way. Or, man, I like what they're doing, but I think I can do it better. I think any of those types of thoughts in your brain are leading you towards, hey, you should go explore what that is. Can you repeat those, those three things again? Say those one more time. Yeah. Signpost, stepping stones, and skill sets. Mm -hmm. And then if you, if you see something and you feel like you can do it better, just wanna, I just want to make sure people don't gloss over that. Say, that. say that again. Yeah. So if you see something, you go, man, I'd like to do that. Or if you see something, you go, man, I know I could do that or I could do it better. Or if you see it and you go, hey, I, I, I see what they're doing, but I think I'd like to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Like there's this thing that goes on in your heart when you see something, you're like, God, I'm attracted to that. And I don't think that that's just by whim. I think that somehow that's been stitched into your soul and it's just how you're wired. It's how you're made. And it's, it's, it's your, you know, if we were to use like the analogy, we all are like parts of the body, but you know, not everybody is a toe. I just think that, man, if you're a finger, you're going to notice things that fingers are supposed to notice. If you're a heart, you're going to notice things that hearts are supposed to notice. And I just think that we haven't put enough emphasis on those types of things. I've been wanting to be on stage or speak or do comedy for years. And my very first speech was when I was 16 years old. Mm. So I was drawn to it and I started doing it. And then what happens, I realized, man, I actually kind of have a – I'm actually kind of decent at this. I'm, I'm super rough. I'm not refined in any way, shape, or form. But, man, with a little bit of practice and some real effort, I think I could actually get pretty damn good at this. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a desire for it, right? Yeah, and l let me ask you this. So when you, when you have that, that sense of I could do this, I, I'm interested in doing that, I, I mean what really ends up happening for so many people is they just don't act on that. Like they'll get that intuitive hit. They'll get the, the chills. Their hair will stand up. I mean whatever it is for them where they get that, that sign, and, but they don't do anything with that sign how do you suggest that people acknowledge rather than ignore or deny that hit and and get started in in that field you know what i mean yeah no dude that's such a great question and i think there's it's twofold a lot of times we will be afraid to share with other people hey i want to go do that because I mean, let's face it, 95 to 98% of the world are working in jobs they don't like. I mean, that's the statistic, right? Like 94% of people do not like their jobs. And even I think even fewer than 6% of people actually are chasing their dreams and accomplishing the things they actually want to accomplish. So what's sad is that there's so many people around us saying, who are you to think that you could go do that? 
Who do you think you are that you can go stand in front of a thousand people and make them laugh with stupid jokes that you've created? And so that happens a lot. So what I would say is, first of all, go try and find wherever that community is that's doing what you want to do and just start becoming involved in it. That's the first step is like go, go find that community. Like for comedians, go start, go hang out at comedy clubs, start hanging out with other comedians and say, hey, how do I get started? Which leads me to point number two is hire a mentor or, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't even have to hire them. Sometimes you just shadow them or sometimes you just pester them and bug them long Mm -hmm. enough and they'll actually show you, hey, you know what? This is how you actually do it. This is, this is what I, you know, learned. I, I have a formula for like, how to really learn anything, and that is hire a coach, become their, you know, get get success students, start to work for them or intern for them or hang around them, and then become their friend, and you'll see behind the veil of everything. And then that way you'll really actually know whether you really want to do something or not because a lot of times people see the front of the house of something and go, oh, my God, that looks so cool. But if you knew the inner workings or the behind-the-curtain type stuff, you might say, dude – that's I need to leave that as a hobby because I don't want to do that as a business. And and so I know I'm getting kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but for me, people are like a lot of people are saying I want to find my calling so I can go make money doing it because everybody wants to do something during the day that they love and can get paid doing. Right? Nobody wants to work a job that they don't like or doing shit that they don't like. So I just think, well, you need to go get immersed in that community to find out what's really going on here. Like what's really happening? And if you want to know behind the scenes, you need to make friends with people who are behind the scenes that can really give you the lowdown of what really is going on. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first and foremost step. Get away from people who are going to say, hey, you can't do that. And that's just their story, not yours. And go get around people who are doing it and that will say, yeah, you can do this and here's how I did it. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I'm thinking a calling is not a mental process. So if like you use the word desire. And I always say a desire is a clue to your calling mm-hmm. or to your mission, passion, purpose. And I a like lot of that. people overthink it. And behind the scenes, they're overthinking it so they can avoid, avoid doing the things that scare them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if they that's so good. Just like the easiest thing to do is hang around people who are doing it. You'll be scared if they want to call you out and say, you go up there and do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I, I, I just agree with it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Bam. I, I, can, I can say this. I think desires are placed into our hearts. I don't know if it's universe, God, creator, whatever, but I just feel like they're put there for a reason. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard this quote. I heard it a while ago. It's like the scariest thing that will ever happen to you is when you die and you meet the person you could have been in heaven. Mm. Now, is there a heaven? Is there an afterlife? Who knows? But that that imagery is pretty damn powerful. Like what if I could have met the person I could have became if I wasn't held back by my fears and my own limiting beliefs? Mm -hmm. And so I think that those desires are placed in you and you should should chase those down. Like you should follow those down and see what happens. But I have a very specific system about, hey, not every hobby is supposed to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and you might not be suited. Like, for example, I love surfing. I grew up surfing my whole life. and I, But I didn't have enough balls to really drop in on 30-foot waves on North Shore Bonsai Pipeline in Hawaii. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I I dreamt about it, but when, it, when push came to shove, I'm like, yeah, I'll just stay here and watch. So, But that doesn't mean I can't have – so my, ho- my hobby of surfing – 
it, I'm not going to be a paid professional surfer. But where I tell people is like, you know what? But let's look at all the periphery and all the things that could be paying you in the surfing realm. Could you own a surf shop? Could you be a surfboard shaper? Could you, you know, you, like there's a gazillion. Mm-hmm. For example, I have a guy that came into my program. He loved hockey. He goes, but dude, Keith, I'll never be a hockey player. I go, well, what did you love best? He goes, I went to a goalie camp when I was a kid. It was my favorite thing ever. He goes, but I'm not good enough to teach goalie camp. I go, well, why don't you get some retired NHL dude to teach it and you be the marketer and the guy behind it so that way you're in the industry doing what you love and, and, and getting paid for it. And that's exactly what he went to do. Mm-hmm. So I think there's – I think th- for me, I think there's 50 to 100 entry points into every um, – area or business or hobby that you want that you could get paid doing and being in the area and the arena of something you love being around yeah uh, that's really really sage advice so let me ask you a question you know when uh when my book what is your what came out and there was a lot of positive feedback about it there was also a lot of negative feedback about it where there were people who felt like you know it's it's just the wrong message in terms of if everybody is out there doing what their calling is and making a great living and, and loving their lives and these sort of things, I believe the exact quote of the Amazon review uh, or the headline for the Amazon review that started getting a lot of really interesting comments, and most of them negative, uh, was who will take out the garbage, mm. you know, from the standpoint of not everybody is meant and made to do something extraordinary. Like if, if everyone is out there doing all of these calling-like things, Mary, you're yes, you would. I've got something to add to that. On the news the other day about a garbage collector guy, mm-hmm. he was on the news because he loved his route, and there was a little boy who wanted to be a garbage collector, and every day he would, the week once a week, sit outside with his parents mm-hmm. and give the guy some cookies and the mm. garbage collector and hug him. So I think we wash his hands first before you get right? those cookies. But my point is, I think for the person, the soul that they are on the planet at the time they are, there is something special and unique, and it doesn't have to be a famous celebrity-driven type of calling. It can mm-hmm. be something that we forget how important it is to touch people with our lives at the grocery store, parking lot post office, wherever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your, what's your, what are you thinking around that, Keith? Because you know, not everyone is going to be able to live their quote-unquote calling or at least have a glamorous calling or something that makes them a lot of money or something that makes them famous or, you know, who's going to take out the garbage is, uh, it was ultimately the question there. Yeah. I have heard that, and I, I understand where they're coming from. But I would say a couple of things. Not every calling is glamorous, obviously. Not... Not everything we do is going to um, make you a celebrity. But I can say this. There will – and I don't know if it's just human nature, but there will always be enough people who have settled that will take out the garbage. And so if in your heart you say, I don't want to take out the garbage, I believe I have potential to do more – that's who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. So can I answer the eternal question of is everybody supposed to have their calling and do their thing? I have a term I use, and I call it fillers. I think there are people who are fillers. Now, that's going to sound exceedingly rude <laughs> and like almost like talking down to people. I'm not. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, that's not my desired R. But I can tell you, I've talked with a lot of people that they don't have any desire to do anything significant. They don't. They're like, no, I'm just. I just want to work my job and come home and be with my family and love my kids. And to them, that is significant. So I just think there will always be people who will work at McDonald's. There will always be people who will take out the trash. I just don't think they have a desire to go do anything else. Mm-hmm. And if they did, then they would go find it or they would at least just you know sit and be like, well, I wish I could do that, but I can't. There's a lot of really horrible negative beliefs that people believe. And it doesn't make them right, but it's the way a lot of people think. So I just say, listen, if you're a person that thinks you are called to do something more, then here's the steps on how to go do that. Mm-hmm. As far as like, I don't know, I grew up, uh, I grew up Christian, and so some people would be like, you know, well, what about all the people in Africa that don't know about Jesus? And the guy's like, well, you do know about him. So what do you you make the decision with the information that's in front of you? Now, I don't really go to church or do any of that anymore, but I I loved the the sentiment of, well, hey, let's not worry about people that don't aren't thinking about this. What are you doing with the information in front of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just going to jump in for a moment. Um, I was thinking of the line, "I speak for the trees," and just you know for those other people. You know, it may be the guy, his primary motivation is, I want to coach Little League. Mm-hmm. And, and the garbage man job is the job whose hours and capacity allows me to do this other thing. You know, yeah. we, we, we always seem to tie it to money. And so I just yeah. want to point out, there could be a calling that has nothing to do with financial success or fame, but brings yep. lots of self-satisfaction. And we as a society, here's my little, you know, speak for the trees thing, need to make sure that we don't economically punish people for making those kinds of decisions. Yeah. So I'll, I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah, point well, I, well, I think it's I think it's simple, guys. If your heart, if there's something in your heart that you want to go do, Here's a roadmap, and mine's not the only roadmap. But you've got a roadmap. There's a, there's people that have given us roadmaps. If you want to go do something, here's the roadmap to go do it. If you don't, <laughs> then don't worry about it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I try and keep it. I really do try and keep it that simple. And also, I think that there's a season for things too. Like for a time, and I was all about being a pastor. That season kind of came. And went. Mm-hmm. And I think and it's like there was a time where all of us loved playing with children's toys. And then we just kind of outgrew them. They just weren't that fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we just eat our, who we were evolved, who we were grew, who we were expand. And so newer things then took on delight and, and, and interest for us. And I guess I'm just the proponent of saying whatever. I kind of use the, for the, the, the phrase chase the joy. Not that you can never catch the joy. Maybe maybe follow the joy would be a better way of saying it. Just whatever brings your heart satisfaction. If you're not hurting anybody else, go for it. Yeah. And here's a practical guide on how I believe you can accomplish some of the things that you're wanting to accomplish that a lot of people I don't think know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me let me ask you this. I mean, you've done a number of things over the course of your career and you'll continue to have different seasons as you've so aptly put it. What, what are you doing now primarily for money or have you made enough off of the real estate that you've put that aside and you're just doing the, the joy work? Let me just try to get an understanding where you at, uh, where you're at right now with the lay of the land. 
yeah. So um, I, I'll never stop working, regardless of how much money's in the bank. Um, what I'm, I'm following passion projects that that, but I I'm I want to get paid for everything I do. So with that being said, a real joy of mine is teaching other people how to make money in real estate, and that's why I created those courses. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled for so long just wondering what is it what is Keith's special giftings like a lot of the things that I go through is how to find out what is your special gifting that you can do as well or better than anybody else that causes you a lot of joy to be able to you know you just lose track of time so I have a course on that Mm -hmm. Um, I have a course on the raising private money I went through a very very dark time two years ago when my wife left me where we have since gotten back together, and it was 97% my fault, and maybe 99%. Mm. Mary's probably thinking, yeah, it was 99%. Mm. Uh, it's always the guy's fault. No. <laughs> but <laughs> I sense sarcasm. Anyway, so <laughs> I, um, the truth of the matter is, is I'm now starting to build a brand that helps guys get the love of their life back. Mm. And there's some very specific coaching because I did everything wrong. I hired three different coaches and I realized, holy shit, I'm doing a lot of the wrong stuff and the way I need to change. So I I came to a point because I've been teaching people how to make money for a while. And while I love doing that because money does create freedom, I want to – I want to die leaving a legacy that I reached into people's most darkest hour and I was able to help pull them out of it. And the darkest hour for me was when I realized I lost – the greatest thing I ever was encountered with and the, the greatest thing around me was my beautiful wife who I love more than anything and our relationship is amazing and I realized I effed it all up. I didn't cheat. It wasn't anything like that. It just, to sum it up in her words, she said, man, you run your business, you come home and talk about your business and then you fall asleep on the couch. Mm. That's not who I agreed to marry. That's not the dad that you signed up to be for, for our daughter. And if that's who you're going to be, then that's cool you do you, but I'm going to go live my life differently. And that's what she did. She had the balls to stand up and go stand up for herself and do this. So, I mean, literally just as of a month ago, I said, I understand how we brought this back together. Not a lot of people are teaching it. And I think I can help a lot of people because now like literally being with my wife and kids is the greatest joy. Like that's what I want to do. I want to sit on the beach and, uh, with a Coors light in my hand and just, talk about nothing and whatever. So I, that's the goal. That's where I'm heading down is to see how I can help people with that. Mm-hmm. Is she part of that process with you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. She gives the girls perspective. So we're going to start a podcast around, you know, uh, breakups and breakthroughs. Mm. Nice. I just want to be a lighthouse to people and, and share my positivity and share people how to, get kind of what they want out of life. I feel like I figured some of those things out mm-hmm. by making a lot of mistakes. And, and look, man, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or beat the horse here, but just kind of reading between the lines, I, mean, I know how long it takes to try to get something like that up and running and to get any sort of traction to sell enough of that to really support life, lifestyle, family, etc. So there is money in the bank. There is money that still comes in from real estate. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and and my products, uh, everything I do, everything I build, I build for Evergreen, and I have a sales team. So, I'm really like dedicated to my businesses. So I still sell 
how to raise private money mm. like it's going out of style. I have a proof of funds company where I help real estate investors use our bank statements to go make all cash offers and sometimes I'll fund them. So I do private lending. I'm still deep in the real estate game that funds my amazing lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I still sell courses for how to discover your life's calling. I used to have a coaching program. I've actually pulled away from it and I'm now just selling the actual digital course, which is really replete and comprehensive. Um, I still do a lot of speaking. Um, mm-hmm. and I just got approached by somebody who wants me to write a book and do like a one man show and possibly turn into a movie called losing my religion mm. and how I went from a pastor, like my story in a real nutshell is I went from a pastor to dating porn stars to now I'm just a guy helping people find their passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That used to be my opening. And then all the girls would be like, you dated porn stars? You're such a creep. And I'm like, yeah, well, they were really nice people. <laughs> porn stars are nice people too. too. God yeah. loves them they too. Are. Right. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah. so yeah, my business is still cranking like, like never before. And I'm just opening up a new brand. I gotcha. Well, at some point we'll, uh, we'll have to chat about uh, liquor.com, which I know we've discussed before because I still think there's uh, a fun conversation to be had there. And, yep. um, and of course, on the private money side of the equation as well, there's uh, something else we should be chatting about. So we'll, uh, we'll open up that dialogue uh, yeah, soon. But let me, let me ask you this. So, yeah. I mean, you seem to really have come to a really good place right now. What, what, what are you still struggling with, man? What kind of – what keeps you up at night, if you will? Mm. My kids. Yeah, how so? Well, I've got a twenty-one. I've got a, I've got a twenty-year-old who's a sophomore in college. He seems to be kind of shaping up okay. Uh, he went through some years where he was kind of an asshole. Uh, he's actually in my stand-up comedy bit, and I say these things about him, and he's approved of all the jokes, mm-hmm. which is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got an eighteen-year-old who thinks he knows everything, just like I did at eighteen. So he doesn't want to hear anything about me. And I've got a 15-year-old who I get up every morning at five forty-five in the morning. We go work out, and she's like such a joy. So I think for me. I just, um, God, nothing really, I hate, I hate how white privileged this sounds right now, man. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't lay awake at night, like worrying. I take a good edible and I fall right to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you know. That's what you guys have in common. Yeah, right. But I I can, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. What keeps me up at night, if I was to be like really honest, is I want to, I want to reach my potential. I don't even think I'm close to reaching the potential Keith Yaki could reach to. I do think that there is more to be done in the comedy scene. I think there's, I mean, I, you know, I, we did that show in San Diego. That's just a, a baby step of what I want to actually, I want to create bigger shows. I want to help. Uh, I support a nonprofit called American Dream U with um, that group. And I, I love Phil and I love what we're doing there. So I, I, Keith wants to... I want to own, a, you know, hundreds more apartment buildings. I, there's a lot of things I want to still do, and I just, I don't want to die. That's the thing. I don't want to die. I think, fuck, if I die, like, I won't have any input on my four-year-old daughter anymore. Mm-hmm. My wife wants another kid. If I die, she's going to have to have that with somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, I just, those are the things that keep me up. Did I really live a life worth living? Mm-hmm. And I mean, as far as your days go at, at this juncture, how do you how do you make sure you can answer that question with a resounding yes? Um, I'm starting to shoot a lot more videos to tell the world 
and you know, like we you know get more of my stuff out on YouTube to just let that light shine. I just keep diving deeper into my brands and seeing how more robust I can build them and 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 do that. The comedy is the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, still is very hard, even though I'm performing and doing well. There's just so many levels to that that just never seems to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ultimately, like for me, I just go, man. I am just moving along doing these things that are bringing me joy, but is there something even bigger? Well, when Tim Story called me and said, Keith, you should do this project, Losing My Religion, and I want to help you and I want to be a part of it and let's get this out there, something twinged in my heart that maybe maybe, maybe that could be a way of me to leave a really significant dent on our particular piece of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I care about that. And I know that sounds a little arrogant and I used to never want to say that, but truth is I don't want to, I don't want to live and not have contributed in some major way. And it's not like a giving back type thing, but just, I want my voice heard. Mm-hmm. I got you, man. Are you still doing the Amplify event or was that a one and done kind of two and done? Where were you at with that? It was a two, I think it's a two and done, man. I just, yeah. it, it didn't bring me that much joy doing it the second time. And, yeah. um, I just like there's a lot of things that bring me joy, and as you know, putting on an event is really time consuming. It is, yeah, it yeah. is for sure, man. So we're talking about reinventing your calling, and uh, you know, there's, it's obviously going to take a lot of different shapes and forms for you. One of which, of course, is doing the stand up and all. Give us, uh, give give us just a couple, uh, a couple quick minutes of material, man, from something you haven't done before, something you want to try out, and we'll we'll give you an honest, uh, we'll give you an honest uh, set of feedback here if it's uh, if it's any good. Give, it, give, it, give, 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 us, give us two minutes of Keith. Not that you're on the spot. Yeah, not that you're on the spot. Well, give, us, give us two minutes of Keith. Well, listen, guys, com- there's context to comedy, right? There is. Um, and, and so, you know, me doing my quote-unquote bits on you, it just doesn't feel... All right, something funny about your son. Feel- let's make fun of your son. One quick thing about your son. Let's make my fun. So, so uh, I do have four kids. Uh, I'm not Mormon. And my oldest is a sophomore in college. And he's a total dickhead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's in that stage where he knows everything. I don't know anything. And he's a big adult now, right? Mm. So I'm like, dude, you're not a big adult now just because three weeks ago you got your first blowjob. What you are is five years behind schedule. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> to which he then says, oh, yeah, dad, real funny. What do you know? I go, well, uh, I know that you wet the bed until you were 12. Uh, I know you have a secret crush on your stepmom. Oh. And uh, I know I hate. I hate the fact that you got a bigger dick than I do. Oh. <laughs> it's pretty hard to be the big swinging dick when your son actually has the big swing dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I just like, hey, listen, dude. And, uh, and, and in fact, the other day I was like, hey, man, I need you to clean up, clean up your room. And then he looked at me, looked down at my package, looked back <laughs> at me and he's like, I don't got to listen to you anymore. <laughs> said, well, until your big swing of dick's paying for your Verizon bill, you're going to listen to me. Yeah. And then as soon as I said that, I was like, oh, my God, what career path is this kid going to take, man? If he becomes, if he turns out to be a stripper or a porn star, uh, that one's on me. <laughs> so that's a, those are little, those are little, yeah. little bits. Yeah. I got three other kids. I got an 18-year-old, I got a 15-year-old, and I got a 4-year-old. Mm. To which everyone goes, whoa, and I go, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. You know, I felt like an er, uh, early American settler moving from the east to the west, thinking that this was the Laos mountain range. 
only to get the top and realize, fuck, there's a whole <laughs> other set of mountains in front of us. Mountains of diapers, mountains of formulas, and mountains right. of those bitchy teen years. Oh, man. So yeah, they got names. Caleb, Julia, and Cockblock. <laughs> <laughs> and I just go into this whole bit about how sex is so different when you've got a four-year-old. I mean, who's got... Nobody has the energy for night sex anymore when you've been chasing your little daughter around Chuck E. Cheese for eight hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. and I and I just act out the whole like, here's how I do morning sex. I tug on the sheets a little harder, you know, try and jostle her, and then I reach my hand over to see if she's there, and my daughter's not. <laughs> and I, then I assume the uh, the big spoon position, and I start swiveling my hips, and I go, you know, I'm just testing the waters because. Every lady loves to wake up with her dick in her back. <laughs> and then I just go down I just go down the routine like, you know what I mean? Like yes. uh you know, sh- she's sleeping, you know, be sexy but be quiet, you know. Stuff mm-hmm. like that. Nice, dude. And it's just, act it all out and just have a good time with it. Yeah, man. Well, next time you're doing uh anything here in SoCal, obviously let uh, let us know. We'll uh, we'll get the word out and we'd love to come see. You. If people want more information about you, Keith, where's uh best place for them to go? Well, if they want to just know about me and my craziness, it's just keithyaki.com. But if they want to specifically like know, because I, I'm guessing a lot of people who listen to this want to know more about their calling and, and that type of thing, yep. the, the, the site I would have them go to is findoutwhylive.com. Perfect. Findoutwhylive.com or keithyaki.com. Keith, man, really appreciate you being here with us on Reinvention Radio. Man, so much fun stuff, and uh, so glad you found your calling and are making uh, such an impact on the world as a result. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you really soon. And for Mary Goulet and Richie Ote, White Wade and Kelly Pucker, I'm Steve Olsher. We'll talk to you guys next time here on Reinvention Radio. Take care, everybody. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com That's myultimatedirectory.com